Hi, and welcome to another episode of Cloud Spotting. This is Sai, and we have Alex back on the Zoom sessions, I guess. How are you doing, Alex? I'm all right. Thank you very much, Sai. How's things yourself? All good, all good. I'm sure most of our listeners now will be happily sitting in their cars listening to the listening to the episode on, on their commute or, or not commute. Yes, quite possible. I suppose it's a, an opportunity for us to say either congratulations or commiserations. Those of you who are loving the working from home thing, as lockdown uh, starts to ease in various parts of the world, uh, you might be having to face the traffic again. So fingers crossed yeah. that that's not too bad at the moment, at least. Exactly. And if you're just getting away from, from everything else and just listening to our episode in your car, just sitting in the parking lot, we're not judging. It's great. See, now, I, I'm hoping that there's going to be people, you know, it's coming up to summertime. They're going to be sitting in their back gardens, you know, enjoying the sunshine. And the first thing that I always think about doing when I'm sitting in the garden is listening to your voice. Si. So sometimes oh. I just listen to old episodes. See, that that's exactly why we're doing so well together on this, on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, as usual, we have a fantastic special guest, um, Diane Dowdle. Welcome to the show. Do you want to give yourself a little bit of an introduction uh, and tell the listeners who you are? Sure. Hi, Alex, and hi, so I'm coming to you from uh, Texas, and I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I have uh, two different lives that, that I can talk about publicly. One is as a recovering academic that never really fully recovered. <laughs> I'm a, a professor at a university in San Antonio called St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the oldest Catholic university in the American Southwest. Oh, wow. And I started there in 2004. And uh, I teach a lot of co different courses. I, I have uh, designed and delivered courses in organizational culture and leadership and ethics and team performance and productivity and rapid innovation uh, creative thinking, critical thinking, selling and sales management, promotion, organizational improvisation, marketing research, and marketing strategy. That's what I do. I, I'm a walking NBA, and that's my nickname among my friends when, uh, when they're not mad at me. Uh, and so I, I, I do that. Uh, my background really, though, is, in, uh, is not in business. My background is in biology and in uh, English. And so I kind of ended up uh, in the organizational uh, development and leadership development field uh, through a series of, of fortunate circumstances. I'm a native New Yorker, uh, which is why I'm not shy and really outspoken and probably why I'll have to edit this later. Uh, and, and I ended up uh, in Texas because of my father was born in uh, Texas and always wanted to move back here. Ah, very cool. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for that intro and welcome to the show. Um, for those of you who had been listening carefully there, you may have got a bit of an indication then. This is uh, this session is going to be one of our personal development sessions, professional development sessions that we've been running over the course of the past uh, few months. Um, so onto the subject itself. I mean, for me personally, one of the things that drew me to Rackspace four years ago was the culture. Um, so I, I, I've always been uh, fascinated by the way that, you know, it's amazing how all these various different organizations in the world who all do the same thing can all do it in a very different way, present themselves to customers in a very different way. Um, and each and every one of those is, uh, you know, has varying levels of excitement for me personally. And so for me, Rackspace was just fantastic to come and join. Um, a big part of that culture is the way that we interact with customers and the way that we interact with each other. And a big part of that is 
a concept of authenticity. And so, Diane, I think today what we'd like to dig into is that concept of authenticity and what does it mean? Yeah, I, I think it's timely. And authenticity is one of these words that we all know the meaning of it, but we may not apply it in the same way. There have been numerous academic studies on, on, on what makes an effective leader, of, uh, an effective being tied to organizational performance and into culture surveys. And authenticity usually comes in in the top three, either as the most important leadership trait or, you know, or, or close to the top. And those are multicultural, multinational, multi-industry studies of leadership. And when we think about uh, employees who may not be leaders or, or may be thought leaders but not have the title of leader, authenticity is important too as they work with each other and as they work with uh, internal and external uh, customers. And so there is a, a definition of authenticity that academics use, but there's not one. And then there's this definition or the, this concept of authenticity that we use as we interact with mm -hmm. each other. And we know it's important. We know it's the gold standard for leadership. We know that's important as we interact with all of our customers. But it's also a little bit oh. troublesome in its application because it can put us into a state of feeling that we might not be true to ourselves. And yep. when we look at words that, are, that we may think are synonymous or related to authenticity, sometimes it can get us into a bit of a, of a dilemma, of, of a moral conundrum as we mm -hmm. think about what the customer needs, what our colleagues need, and then who we are. Yeah, it's the fear of sabotage as well, isn't it? I mean, you don't know whether where to be authentic and where not. And I think I think uh, we we did this, didn't we, earlier? I think Alex, we talked about this very very briefly uh, with Matt Stoika. But I mean, oh, of course, you're, you're yes, exactly we did. right. Yes, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. And he gave a cracking uh, book recommendation off the back of that, actually. So, uh, if you want to hear the book recommendation and you want to uh, hear a little bit more about. Uh, that from our, who was our chief relationship officer, and he's now subsequently in another role within Rackspace, um, then definitely check out the episode with Matt from earlier on. It was really good. So back to your point then, Diane. So, you know, the the words that get conjured up when I hear the word authenticity, you know, does it just mean transparent? No, that, that's where, that's where we can get into, into trouble. Uh, Authenticity is about one aspect. It's about being true to yourself, but being true to yourself doesn't necessarily mean transparent. Uh, there is a performative aspect to what we do, particularly in leadership and in sales. I mean, we want to, you know, we, we want to be in a psychologically safe space, but we're not always in that psychologically space. Uh, safe space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we think about this idea of being transparent, you know, in, in a data center, if there's an outage, does it really matter that you're, you know, that you have, uh, have had a, a bad morning, you know, where transparency might say, you know, I'm not going to deal with it right now, whatever urgent matter that, that someone else is presenting to us, because I've had a bad day, which is true, which is absolutely true. But being that transparent doesn't, you know, uh, the, doesn't carry on to what is expected of us at that moment of, in, in time. Mm -hmm. uh, being transparent 
um, is important to us as individuals in our, in our relationships. But being transparent isn't a necessary condition of authenticity. That makes sense. Very interesting. So if we were then to look at that from a, from a practical lens, I mean, if I look at the way that, for example, myself and my colleagues interact with customers, um, I think one of the things that um, really stands out within our team, at least, is the level of trust that we build with customers in a pretty pretty short space of time, I'd say. Um, because by being truly authentic with our customers and by the way that we interact in, in workshops or you know, in calls with customers, they can see that um, you know, there's always the best intentions there. The authentic nature of the interactions means that people can kind of see through and understand that um, what Solution Architects, as we did an episode, actually, our previous episode is all about what does a Solution Architect do, um, is about getting to the nub of the business challenge and solving that problem, as opposed to, you know, any other potential negative things or people you know with weird agendas or whatever. So, Diane, how do you think you build trust in a relationship that, you know, maybe a very short term relationship or something where you haven't known each other very long? Um, and how, how can we be authentic uh, externally? Well, you know, ideally, when we, when we consider humans, trust is built slowly and through emotion, which is why emotional intelligence is so important mm-hmm. uh, in, in organizations and, and in ju- just in society in general. But with now, considering that most of our interactions are occurring over Zoom, and that we might not have time to meet with a customer over coffee or an adult beverage or outside of a, of a formal Zoom interaction. Uh, we have to focus more on task-based uh, trust formation than emotional trust-based formation. You know, he was talking about the culture of Rackspace. And any type of startup, you're going to usually develop a, a, a tremendous sense of trust because everybody is doing everything together all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, and who do you hire? You hire people that, uh, that somebody in that, in, in that core group knows. Mm-hmm. And so trust building is very deep, right? And, and, and can happen when you laugh together and when you cry together and when you commiserate and when you are open, open when you are more transparent. Mm-hmm. Now, given that we're dealing with Zoom and that we're dealing with customers all over the world who culturally have different understandings of of Mm. authenticity and how trust is built we have to focus more on tasks and that has to do with with what what the customer's goals are something a place where i always start is given the access to information that our customers have this massive amount of information why don't they fix the problems themselves and if we can focus on that, if we can solve that, as opposed to the problem they're presenting us, mm-hmm. is if we address why they're not, they're not fixing it themselves, usually we can see the personal aspects of fear. Maybe they're, they, they want to share the blame if something goes wrong, or, or they, they, um, are, the repercussions are so severe that, that they uh, are not confident in, in their own uh, solution or implementation of the solution. So if we can focus on that task of alleviating the reason that they're not solving the problem themselves, mm-hmm. we can start to build that safe zone. And that's where I, I effectively you're saying that part of that trust is actually through expertise, isn't it? 
So bringing, bringing that expertise brings confidence, helps to potentially solve some of the, 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 the worries that a customer has that allows them to get to a solution which solves their problem. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's this notion of I can help you alleviate your concerns. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, that linear logical piece of, you know, discovery, uh, you know, defining the problem, looking at alternatives, recommending a solution. I mean, that, that is true that that's going on, but Mm -hmm. that in itself, I mean, how can you build trust with that unless you can build a track record of being able to implement successful and effective Mm -hmm. solutions to get to that point. And even if you have made, if the context has changed where we need to start with, as, as you said, is this idea of, of, of showing data, showing information, mm-hmm. uh, certifications. I mean, if we're going to talk about very practical mm-hmm. of, of show proof that you are able to deal with this successfully in the customer's mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And some, some of these scenarios though, um, they're not always cut and dry, are they? It's not always a, uh, a safe and easy solution, something that's been done before. Um, and also the way that we interact with people is not always about taking the taking the safe road. Sometimes, you know, we hear phrases like radical candor, crucial conversations. Um, sometimes, I mean, I, I know I've had some very interesting conversations with some of my longest standing customers, which have been um, not confrontational, but certainly robust, you know, where um, it's about you, you get to a level of trust with somebody where actually you can be um, you can really kind of shoot around ideas and really kind of get to the meat of challenges. But I think through the fact that you've both built up that level of trust with each other. Sure. And it depends on the customer. There are some customers who are who, who want the latest and greatest thing, who, who want that glory of being involved in beta testing or trying something that their competitors haven't tried. And, th- and that's one level of making them feel safe is, is that innovative mindset. There are other customers. It's all about the people. It's all about uh, their communities. It's all about, you know, what's going to make life easier for their colleagues, for their employees, for the people who mm-hmm. report to them and the people they report to. There's some who are, you know, all about uh, uh, data. It's about revenue generation or cost savings or both. Show me the numbers, you know, show yeah. me a white paper, show me the proof that this works. And then there's other people, you know, who just want support for doing what they want to do anyway. So they're looking for confirmation. And, and so knowing that, you know, can give you, I mean, and, and there's nothing inauthentic mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. So what is the right solution? That, that's, that's not a question of, of, of authenticity. We, we speak differently when we talk to, to um, our grandmothers, when we talk to our kids, when we talk to our work friends, when we talk to our, our very close work friends, we, we take a different tone mm-hmm. in communication, right? That doesn't mean that we're inauthentic. It means that we're meeting the customer where the customer is, or just as we're meeting our grandmother where she is when we're talking mm-hmm. about what we do for a living or the current situation. Yeah, usually when I ask my granny for her business requirements, she doesn't <laughs> tend to uh, react so well. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to you got to adapt, don't you? It's it's ad- adapting to the listener who who is listening, and and it's a very interesting point about uh, identity and sort of creating that trust relationship because working with new customers, uh, I 
encounter quite a few sessions and engagement sessions where we actually meet the customer face to face and we take them around the office to actually show what is Rackspace. And just that, that example, it's going to be impossible to do that over Zoom. So we, we have to adapt and find a different way to, to show our expertise. And as you said, Diane, it's, it's all about making sure you meet that trust requirement and make sure you're, you're authentic and transparent, but you're not putting forward something over and above or something that's incorrectly represented. Yeah, right. And and that's where and that that's really where the sweet spot is, right? I, pardon the American uh, baseball expression. But it it's that that's where that's where success lies. And to Indeed. that point, you know, let's say for example, if I was somebody who um I felt that, you know, sometimes I was able to be authentic, but sometimes, you know, some people will struggle to kind of share that much of themselves in a scenario or whatever. I mean, what would you, what would you encourage? What would you guide listeners to do if they want to help? Cause this is, this feels to me like almost like a muscle that you can build on. Oh, that's exactly it. Yeah. So how do you, how do people go about doing that? Well, you know, this really is a specific application of, of the growth mindset, right? Is that we realize that our story in terms of identity, our story is evolving. We meet new people, we have new experiences, so our story is going to change, which means we're going to change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if we take a more nuanced approach to authenticity, a more evolutionary approach, a more emergent approach, I think we can get to adaptive authenticity, right? Where we realize that you know, we uh, we adopt many diverse role models in, in the course of our lives, and that uh, you know, we, we, when we want to uh, think about projecting authenticity while being authentic, you know, we, we should look at, at learning, learning about our customers, formal learning about ourselves, um, making, dedicating ourselves to becoming self-aware and looking at classes, uh, you know, available or webinars available online um, or here at Rackspace about emotional intelligence. Fantastic. Yes, I think I uh, actually one. So those of you who have been listening to date have probably guessed uh, Diane does a lot of training and development for rackers at Rackspace, as we call ourselves. Um, and uh, certainly I've attended Diane's emotional intelligence class and I found that was a fantastic way to start to understand the world around us. Um, you know, sometimes you, you almost assume you know what you know about a subject until you actually deep, deep dive into it and then it's fascinating what starts to come out of it so i think definitely um looking up more information in a deep dive around emotional intelligence would be a very valuable use of anybody's time whether professionally or personally um it's interesting you, you use the phrase self-aware there as well because we do actually have a second topic for the day and i'm going to totally steal that phrase as a segue into very a very neat segue <laughs> into our second topic. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit around um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, because as somebody who has uh, you know observed and shared the ideas and thoughts and uh, behaviors of human beings, Diane, we figured who better to discuss how those could be replicated, <laughs> replaced, I don't know, with, with, with these robotic computery things. And so, Diane, um, why don't you kind of set the scene for us? Give us the lay of the land. Well, you know, uh, and this is something that is new to me. 
And so I'm very passionate about it, very excited about it. But this notion of, of AI and machine learning, um, it's driving changes at three levels in organizations. It has to do, of course, with tasks and occupations. Uh, you know, we, need, we need people now who are skilled at designing um, AI systems. It's changing business processes. Uh, we, can take a, uh, we can take a process, a 14-step process, and turn it into three steps, or we can, we can automate the entire process. And it's also, and I think this is more subtle, but it's changing business models. It's changing the way businesses are structured. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's happening. It's been happening. Uh, the, the, the big caution just for, for organizations in general is uh, that it's going to be difficult to catch up. So it's something that we need to be, uh, we need to be dealing with as, as we're trying to be agile, as we're trying to be customer driven, and as we're trying to be um, expertise driven. But there's also some cautions that we need to uh, apply. I mean, th this is something, you know, uh, where worlds collide. And, and I have the, the world of the humans and organizations learning and developing personally and, and professionally, but we have this machine learning uh, that, that, is, that is coming out that is really changing the way we interact with ourselves and our customers. So the potential for both utopian and dystopian futures, is that where we go with this? Yeah, we've got some great movies coming on about this. And, uh, you know, when we look now at the, the second wave of the second, you know, machine age, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's going to bring new risks. And uh, to me in particular, machine learning systems often have low interpretability, meaning that humans have difficulty figuring out how the systems reached their decisions. Uh, yes. And uh, deep neural networks may have hundreds of millions of connections, each of which contributes a small amount to the ultimate decision, right? And as a result, these systems predictions tend to resist simple, clear explanations. Mm -hmm. Unlike humans, machines are not yet good storytellers and they can't always give a rationale for why a particular applicant was accepted or rejected for a job or a particular medicine was recommended. Exactly, I mean, for example, the, there was a certain well-known uh, bot that was created by a company where they ended up having to pull it down after two days because um, <laughs> the information fed into it. Effectively, the model adjusted itself based on input and came out with some somewhat dubious outputs. Um, but you, you make a great point, Diane, is that sometimes with these models, the output isn't actually understood on the basis of the input. People just cannot get their heads around how on earth these things got to these and there may be a whole load of subtle nuances of there that we've just haven't even got a hold on. Yeah, you know, they have hidden truths. Mm -hmm. And these truths are derived not from any intent of the designer. So it's, you know, humans have have biases, right? But mm -hmm. it's it's not even a reflection of the biases of the designer, but from uh, the data that we always think of as objective. We always think of as uh, non-emotional. Uh, but the data provided to train the system um, is based on statistical proofs, uh, truths, mm. not logical truths. It's the human and element, isn't it? You can't get away from it. Right. You know, so three, uh, three buddies are out uh, on a hunting expedition. Uh, this is fictions. Uh, this is fiction, right? So no animals were hurt <laughs> in this example. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the first uh, hunter, 
who uh, who takes aim is off a little bit to the left. The second hunter who takes aim is a little bit off to the right. Uh, and the third uh, hunter, who's an engineer, uh, says, we got him. <laughs> because, uh, you know, statistically, uh, you know, that, mm-hmm. that now you're in the middle. But that's not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful uh, in that, in, in that sometimes we can become uh, intellectually seduced by the amount of data. But, but when it comes to the application and the conclusion, uh, that human element uh, is, is, is important, particularly when we're talking about other humans and human situations, customers, that is. I think that's a great point. Uh, I, I think that also kind of is almost a, a good reason as to why when adopting these kinds of technologies, actually taking a kind of step-by-step approach to it and building your understanding as you go, as opposed to launching straight to the end and trying to work backwards. Yes, you might get to a result at the end uh, very swiftly, but whether that result is accurate or whether that result is biased or whether that result is uh, in some way flawed will all depend on the process by which you got there. So as with many of these things, you know, we always promote on this show agile methodologies and so forth. I'm not going to bring up the special keyword because that's uh, that's for an entirely different episode, but um totally. But that, but an agile and and a and a step-by-step approach towards getting towards that sounds like a a sensible route. So that's the you know very much what I just described there, you know, building out this step-by-step thing potentially is is a very logical approach. And we know computers are super logical. But what about, you know, we've talked about authenticity as being a, you know, a trait of human or a human characteristic. You know, what about the emotional or the human element as we push this into this AI world? Well, that I think is the biggest risk of all, right? Because we, when we talk about this knowledge of bias, right, we know bias is going to be in the system. But when we talk about emotional, any kind of, of emotional aspect to artificial intelligence or machine learning, that's where the system is particularly prone to bias. Uh, when uh, there, there have been cases where uh, sales efforts and solution efforts have been improved tremendously by, by machine learning uh, systems. But when we uh, think about how that could be misused is, is we really have to proceed uh, with, with caution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, when we think about negative emotions, if think about a chat situation, let, let's say online, um, how that can be expressed and how that can be interpreted, you know, with emojis is one thing, but, mm. but if you're not using emojis and if the system isn't picking up, um, the terseness of a conversation that might be appropriate in some cultures, mm-hmm. you know, how, you know, are you having a good day? No. Well, I mean, you know, to, to me, if I say it in that voice, you know, I'm upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, would we're a machine... Brits, Diane. We always say, yes, we're having a good day, whether we are or not. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's another thing ML is going to find difficulty with stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the point, though, isn't it? Context is everything and the cultural context and the emotional context of the individuals. Yeah. And, and, and right now, um, AI is just—it's it, not sophisticated enough to understand those cultural differences in both expressing and reading emotions. So it's mm-hmm. going to be harder for the system to draw accurate conclusions. You know, a, a toddler, an 18-month-old baby, can tell, uh, can, can differentiate between facial expressions, mm-hmm. uh, but they can't understand. But they can't explain why, right? Mm-hmm. And we can't explain why. 
but and here you know we're going to you know hopefully put this in a context this ai and machine learning in a context where we're thinking that we can program uh, the system to differentiate mm-hmm. yeah that sounds very interesting and and complicated at the same time i think i can't get get to grips as to how much that machine would have to evolve to understand all the several aspects. Because you're right, Diane. I mean, communication is not just verbal. Uh, we we learn to pick up on body language and tone and sort of the the pitch, etc., very early on. So that's going to mm-hmm. be a tricky tricky space to for the machines to catch up. I really enjoy recording podcasts with you, Sai. You see, you see what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore the tone. I just think the words. <laughs> Context is everything. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Diane. Um, that's been fascinating. I'm particularly, I really enjoy these episodes because we're going a little bit off, you know, a bit left field of, a, of our typical conversations, but hopefully something that our listeners are really seeing value in, uh, certainly from the feedback we've been getting. Um, now, it comes to, as I always like to say, one of my favorite parts of the show, uh, which is when we ask our guests to share with us something that they've read recently or something they've read in the past, which they thought was of uh, definitely of value to our listeners. So, Diane, what were your thoughts for uh, for this month's episode on what people should li- read next? I should say. Well, considering <laughs> what we've talked about and the, and the diversity of 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 what we've talked about today, I think a great start would be Daniel Goleman's uh, Emotional Intelligence book, the second edition. Okay. And I think in that book, it's it's practitioner level. So he is an academic. He is a professor of psychology at Harvard, but he's been working in this emotional intelligence space in organizations as it relates to performance since the early 90s. So uh, Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence book, any article by Goleman would be helpful. They're available online or at his website. And I, I think that would be a, a great uh, place to start. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm going to throw in one actually that you unintentionally recommended to our listeners at the same time as well. Um, I think we, I'm trying to remember where we've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, there's a book by uh, Eric Brynjolfsson. Brynjolfsson. I don't know. I'm terrible at pronunciation of Scandinavian Scandinavian names, uh, but uh, he wrote a book called The Second Machine Age: Work, Progress, and Prosperity in a Time of Brilliant Technologies. And uh, I think it really relates particularly to our second subject from today around, you know, the changing of the world, um, what will, you know, future industry, future roles, future technology impact what human beings do from a day to day basis. Um, And also really helps um, if any of you out there are parents as well. I found this particularly interesting because, you know, sometimes our kids uh, draw on our experiences to help guide them in terms of where they want to go for their careers. And this book actually starts to talk around some of the careers that would be super value in the future uh, because of the creative nature of it. And that part of the human brain that, you know, to, to our conversation today is very difficult for a machine to replicate. Um, and then the flip side being, you know, the, the kinds of roles that we probably don't want to be doing in the future because those roles may disappear um, and just yeah. not be needed because it's been automated out. Um, OK, well. Thank you very much again, Diane. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show. If anybody would like to stalk you on the internet via the uh, social networks, <laughs> is there is there a particular one of favorite? You know, I'm off of those uh, for the most part these days while the politics rage, and uh, but that's something to look for in the in the future. Uh, we're designing uh, a website for me 
uh, in Rackspace. Oh, so cool. right now there's something uh, that is not quite uh, polished or done, but it, it talks a little bit about what I do at Rackspace and we'll have things like my podcast uh, uh, on it and some videos I've done. So just search my name, Diane Dowdell, uh, I think through uh, Learn, through our Workday system, and you should be able to find some uh, information and resources there. Oh, that's fantastic. So that that sounded like an exclusive preview. That's what I was hearing from that. And I'm definitely taking that as a, <laughs> take that one to the bank. Thank you very much, Diane. Cool. Um, and on that, I think thank you for the episode. Uh, all the listeners, if you need to contact us, get get in touch with us, you can you can do that through Twitter. Our handle is at Spotting Clouds on Twitter. Or you could go to the website, which is rackspace.com slash cloudspotting. Uh, again, if you have to, if you want to contact uh, or send any messages to Diane, just let us know. We'll pass it across. And also, Diane, once your website is up, we'll make sure we put it in our in our in our news feeds and in our Twitter feeds, so everybody can get in touch with you. And on that note, thank you very much. Have a good day. <laughs>